Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Jeff Staple of The Business of Hype. We are right now on a mid-season break. Season five is in the books. Big shout out to everyone who made that possible. John C.J. of Wyden and Kennedy and Uniqlo, Footwear Artiste, Nicole McLaughlin, Daniel Cassidy of Rastaclot, Louis Colon of Fila, Luke Tadashi, founder of Bristol Studios, investor Jason Steen, Woody, the founder of Sneaker Freaker Magazine, and the one and only ASAP Ferg. Me and the team are now out prepping for season six, and we will be back in a few weeks. As always, this is a great time to check out the other shows that we have on Hypebeast Radio. We got an ongoing show called Hype Talks, which calls together all the live speaking events that we do at Hypebeast that you couldn't get tickets for or couldn't be in town for. And we record them so you can listen to them anytime, day or night, and avoid all those annoying crowds. You should also definitely check out our newest show, The Anthropology, with your host, Tiffany Godoy. This show deep dives into the movements and minds that are shaping culture today. She does the research, meets the movers, and puts together an incredible, immersive story spanning multiple episodes that drop on you all at the same time so you can binge listen to your heart's content. In season one, she unpacks the mysterious organization of Italy known as Slam Jam. It was founded by Luca Benini in 1989, and it started out as an Italian distributor of brands like Stussy, Carhartt, Neighborhood, Visvim, and Nike. And more recently, they've actually collaborated with Nike on one of the sickest collabs of the year, that blazer with the reverse upside-down swoosh. It's super dope. And they've also expanded into other businesses, like partnering with Matthew Williams to create the brand Aleeks. So in this five-episode series, Tiffany explores all the branches of culture that Slam Jam has touched today. And of course, last but not least, there is our long-standing legendary music show, Mike Line, with Hypebeast music editor, Manny Madukalam. Manny and Mike Line covers off on the latest and greatest musicians coming into the scene and gets you access that others can't. And today, I want to share an episode of Mike Line with my Business of Hype listeners. It's with the one and only Lupe Fiasco. The thing I love about Mike Line is that Manny really gets into the minds of your favorite musicians where normally you only hear them express themselves through their music. So when Lupe says he's hungry and he wants some dope Chinese food, Manny goes that extra mile and books out the infamous Mission Chinese in downtown Manhattan to get you that story. It's a surreal and unique episode that you gotta hear. And if you like what you hear, make sure you also subscribe to Mike Line. Search M-I-C slash L-I-N-E on Hypebeast Radio and hit that subscribe button. All right, I got to get back to season six preparations. So sit back and relax, get yourself a glass of milk and go on this very spicy journey of Mike Line with my man Lupe Fiasco. Should we start and before the food, or we just you know what? Yeah, let's just start. Uh, well, I think. Is it's, the food coming now? Yeah. The food's here. Wow. Oh. Uh-huh. So spicy. Very very spicy. Let me know when you're shooting. I'll be shooting like throughout. Well, here's the thing, and I'm doing video, but only at like key moments and stuff. Make sure to get a picture when the tears are running down. Why would you oh want to do God. that to it's us? It's so bad. I couldn't finish last time I had Why it. Why would yeah. you do that to us? I had that before. There's more mild stuff coming up. Um, yeah, I need some milk. The, that's with the trite, too. Right? Yeah. I need like a Nesquik. Yeah. Like I, I go to the Brooklyn one. That's oh, what I go to. And the drinks are super yeah. good. Yeah. I like it. You want to do that Like if they got like chocolate Nesquik. Okay. But it's food. Because it's too yeah. hot. Chocolate <laughs> Nesquik is the request. What are these quarters? That's a coin. Coins. Uh, like Game of Thrones. We're, we're adding this to the reason. Wow. <laughs> Bro, we, if you're gonna fight, then fight me then, B. Hello, everyone. 
Yo, what up, what up? From Hypebeast Radio, I'm Manning, and this is Mike Line, a show that looks to discover the origin story of your favorite artist or major player in the music industry. We ask the questions that you always wanted to get answered, and you never know who may pop by. For this episode of Mike Line, we talked to Lupe Fiasco alongside Jay Chung of Hypebeast to discuss martial arts, traveling China, new music, and a ton more. Welcome to Mike Line. How's everybody doing? This is Mike Line, Hype Beast. This is a special show. We have some really great guests and really great people. Um, we are in Mission Chinese. Yes, I did it right. Um, we're sitting here in our oval table. Um, if you hear clanks, that's food being passed. We're going to eat and talk and chill. A circular table. I don't know why I say oval. Um, and yeah, so one I want to introduce uh, is a coworker of mine. So I let her introduce herself. Thanks. What's up? It's Jade from Hypebeast. Yes. And then our guest today, amazing rapper, one of the best, Chicago's finest. I let him introduce himself. Original Hypebeaster. Yeah. Yes. OG before any of you. Yes. Yes. Uh, Lupe Fiasco. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you for taking your time out and coming, coming sit with us. This is like something we've been looking forward for for a while. Looking um, forward for? Yeah. Okay. Looking forward to. Okay. <laughs> forward for. Like Either, huh? Either war. Okay, I'm not mad at no, that. No, Dr. Seuss style. Eight, um, word, eight word four? <laughs> you mean looking eight word four this? Yeah. Okay, I'm not mad at that. Um, but yeah, this is something that like when we got word this could happen, we were like super excited because we're all um, big fans of yours. I understand the impact you have and not only through music, but through yeah. culture, through fashion, through streetwear. Like you said, you were uh, an OG hype beast, yep. original hype beast. Yep. And so... I wanted to ask because we want to talk about your show. Beaten Path. Beaten Path. Yep. So I know that it was a season already filmed, but it was overseas, and now it's coming to the States. Is that correct? Yeah, so we shot the show yeah. um, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago in China, mm-hmm. and actually released it in Southeast Asia mm. probably like a year ago. Yeah. Right? Um, I'm, I'm looking at my business partner, Bonnie, who's like, I'm not talking on the mic. Shout out to Bonnie. I'm a boss. I don't do that. You do the work. <laughs> Um, and we actually released it in Southeast Asia. Um, so Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong, a few other, uh, Vietnam. Um, and then we were planning on releasing it in the States. Nice. Um, but we, we hit, uh, kind of a distribution hiccup here. Um, so we regrouped and decided to kind of put it out our, ourselves here. Nice. Um, so we partnered with a network in Southeast Asia and here we're releasing it ourselves. Yeah. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. I remember seeing a year ago seeing the commercial for it and I was like, oh wow, this is amazing. I can't wait to just come to the States. But the first thing I thought I was interested in hearing um, is I remember you always been um, an, a martial arts enthusiast, someone that has been um, but not enthusiast. Yeah. So, because that, that adds I, like a weirdness to it. Like, uh, you yeah. dress up in karate uniforms in your basement. Yeah, I'm trying to be super formal. You but work out in like, the garage with nunchucks and like a Bruce Lee poster. You're such an enthusiast. Throughout your career, you have been, you've been openly um, a fan of just like Chinese culture and also martial arts. And yeah. so I... Well, a martial artist. Martial so artist. So I actually, actually have been a martial artist this whole time. Yeah. Um, started doing martial arts. It's... it's to make it make sense, I always tell people it's like our family business. So our family business was the martial arts. Mm. So my father had karate schools, martial arts schools, um, all around Chicago for years, for decades. Um, was, he, was, he did martial arts for like 40 years, started when he was kind of like a teenager, um, opened up his first school very young, uh, was a 
trained people in the martial arts in the military when I went to the military. When he got out, he started all these schools. Um, so he has, you know, tons of students. Um, and my whole life was, you know, literally born into martial arts. Mm. You know, going back and forth to the karate school when you're three, four years old. Um, or my father would turn the, the backyard into an ad hoc karate camp for his students. Yeah. Um, weapons always on the walls. And of course, then you had the martial arts movies and everything else. But it was more like the martial arts movies were um, an add-on to our life. You mm. know, it's like, this is just what we do. And here's some movies which, you know, that we rock with that, sh that showcase what we do, right? But it wasn't like, oh, we got these movies and now we're coming to become martial artists. So we get these movies. I've seen Karate Kid and now I want to go get a black belt. Yeah. It's like I had a black belt already kind of a situation. Oh, wow. Um, so we can like, that was fake. <laughs> or we see movies, especially the, the kung fu films. Mm. And this is kind of where the beaten path kind of stuff happens. We were, nor we were mostly a, a Japanese or Korean kind of facing martial arts system, you know? So a lot of karate, um, a lot of like Hapkido, Aikido, um, the samurai arts and stuff like that. Um, but I had a genuine like affinity for like wushu, you know, and kung fu. Mm -hmm. So I would watch those Shaolin kung fu films and I'm like, I wanna be, I wanna learn drunken boxing and stuff like that. Um, so I would see those techniques and kind of add that to the the martial the karate experience that we had, and I was like, I want to do that. So you had a bunch of kids doing karate, and we do karate, and we get bored because we do it for eight years straight. You know, like I want to do some flips, so I want to do some crazy animal styles or something <laughs> like that. Um, but we never had a, a solid like teacher in our school that was a Shaolin master or something like that, or, or taught just pure wushu. Mm -hmm. I think the closest that we had was a, 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 a sifu who did Wing Chun who came in and taught like a Wing Chun course for, for a little while. Um, so I never actually did proper wushu training. You know, it was all like watching movies mm -hmm. and then like getting the weapons and then getting the manuals and the textbooks and stuff like that. So actually le the legitimate materials. Mm -hmm. I never had like a shifu, right? So Beaten Path is, is of interest because it kind of completes the training to a degree because I got nice. to go to China, um, go to Shaolin Temple, go to Fa Wang Temple, go train with these masters. Um, there were actually shifus and practice and really get a, a, a an intense kind of what are y'all doing black, <laughs> the milk. black the fuck is all this milk <laughs> <laughs> why'd you bring all this milk you know it, get options as a joke honey you bring me yeah. back a, a, a handful of change <laughs> thank, thanks for uh, you're a great publicist i just want to let you know you that. know yeah because that's just reminding me of my no, childhood right I have there where's my change with that. like where's my change <laughs> whatever whatever <laughs> homie <laughs> Uh, Whatever, uh, little uh, So you completed the path. <laughs> so we go to Beaten Path. Yeah. You know, get to the show and you get to go to China. This is like the first time I actually got to sit uh, with the master of that art that I always wanted to learn when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and knew like how to do the stances in certain forms. I've never had a full um, download of the the style and, and the roots and the the proper way to adjust your feet and the proper way to adjust your fist. So you'll see in the show there's a lot of adjust adjustment like micro adjustments that the shifus are doing I'm like no you should you got you got the, you got some of it right but then like turn your body this way a little bit or turn your body that way a little bit or turn your fist this way a little bit um so it was almost like a completion of, of the training um and my father always told us you know that his his system was complete in certain areas but there were certain things that we just you know, you have to go to Japan to finish your martial arts training. He'd mm -hmm. always talk about finishing your training. Mm -hmm. You know, go to China, go to these original places and finish your training there. Um, so this was me kind of like quasi finishing my training. Yeah. Um, 
because to finish, I mean, you need to go there for years. Yeah. You know, you go to these places and you kind of live there, so to speak, and learn these things from top to bottom. But you'll see me in the show constantly, like, referencing my father. Like, yo, he was right. Like, he was right. Like, this is, yeah, this feels familiar. Like, we used to do this as kids. This isn't just, it isn't fake. It isn't us trying to posture or pretend like we're doing something. Um, the, the Shifu was like, yeah, this, this guy, who's your teacher? You know, like, who taught you this? Who showed you this, et cetera? And like, yo, my, my father, <laughs> my pops. Was it hard being, you know, you're trained in Japanese martial arts, but was it hard having to adjust or learn a Chinese wushu martial arts? Um, not really, because I did, um, I started practicing wushu when I was like, uh, maybe like nine. Okay. Maybe eight or nine. Yeah. Because um, we did martial arts early. So martial arts mm -hmm. at like three years old. So like karate yeah. at three years old. Uh, Iaido, Kenjitsu, like three nice. years old, right? Um, and so it was, it was, I won't say it was nothing, but it wasn't too much effort to kind of go from that right. system, which right. was somewhat open as well. Yeah. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't too uh, crazy of a transition to go into that. Um, yeah. So it wasn't like too difficult or anything. How like old that. were you when you got your black belt? I got my first like junior black belt mm -hmm. when I was, uh, I think like 10, okay. 10 or 11. Wow. Um, it was in karate. Yep. And we did like a mix of like Kung Shinkai, uh, karate and Shotokan. Mm -hmm. So kind of like a mix. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about like, what did your father practice? What was he? Oh, my father. My father did, uh, he had like eight, eight quote unquote black belts. Mm. And I say quote unquote because some of the some of the styles don't really have belts, mm. but just to, for the public's sake, uh, level of mastery. Yeah. Uh, he did judo. It's black belt in judo, uh, black belt in aikido, um, black belt in karate. Uh, he had a a black belt in a system called huarang do. He had a black belt kind of like in a iaido, kendo, kenjutsu. Um, just, and then like ninjutsu, like all these other kind of random things that are just kind of like, oh, you, you're a master in that too. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, kind of a master in that too. Yeah. But he, he was doing it for 40 years, yeah. you know? So 40 years is a long time to kind of embrace and be trained in like mad different kinds of martial arts systems. Yeah. Um, but it was mostly like Japanese based and Korean based. So his, his, his master, I was a, uh, a man named Mr. Shin, who's actually still alive in Chicago. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. And he's a Taekwondo and Taekwondo, Hapkido, and Judo, and Kindo. He does Kindo too. So mostly like Korean, Japanese facing arts, Yeah. but not, not a ton of like Chinese facing arts. Yeah. There's two things I'm like super curious in because um, as someone, like I did, I dropped into karate when I was a kid, but um, it was more so um, at the school activity. Like my mom just like, look, you can't, you have to do this because I don't want you to run around and whatever in the streets. So he's like, put me in the karate. But I'm also fascinated that your pops had schools as a, a black instructor. And I'm just yeah. like, to me, I'm just like, I've never seen that, you know, yeah. I guess in person. And I think that's super fascinating. I guess for you being a son, that's like a sense of pride just to have it like my pops is teaching me with other kids the art of mm -hmm. martial arts, you know. I mean, it was, it's, it's like, a, it's one of those like, as a black person living in America, mm -hmm. you know, you got all these people looking at you kind of being very judgmental and prejudiced about certain things, right? 100%. It doubles within the black community if you're a black martial artist in the black community. Mm -hmm. You get the same, it's like, it's like all the people who don't do karate, like we're all black, but the black people who do karate, 
um, and the black the black people who don't do karate, the black people who don't do karate like turn into white people mm-hmm. in the black community because it's like, yo, what you what you just like some ninja man? Like, what <laughs> <laughs> you want to fight? And it immediately turns into violence. Like, yo, I could beat you down. Exactly. Like, Come on, man, you acting like Clueless Clan right now. <laughs> um, just on the on the, the the color of my belt. Right? Yeah. But I mean, we had to fight through that. Like that was serious. Yeah, hundred you know, percent. Like people would would you know pick on us and make fun of us and stuff like that. And our school was, was very public in the sense that we used to practice outside and do demonstrations and wow. stuff like that. Oh, wow. So you'd see, but maybe rightfully so, because my pop was kind of crazy. Yeah. He'd have us run in the snow. So the first snow of every winter, he'd get the whole school, mobilize the whole school, barefoot in karate geese, mm. and we'd run in the snow. So you'd see, like, all these kids, instructors and people just running in the snow, mm. you know? And it would be like, that's crazy. And then I'm, I'm thinking, like, that is crazy, mm-hmm. you know? And some of the training was super intense. We'd be running, carrying like logs and like just madness. Yeah. Right? Stuff that even if you watched, if, somebody, if this just happened now, you see a dude running down the street barefoot, you're like, yo, this dude is nuts. What's going on? Imagine 80 people dressed up like they just off a plane from Japan. Yeah. Um, I always tell people that there's, a, there's layers to the martial arts. And one of those layers is culture, right? People get into the martial arts for the culture 100%. of it, right? Yeah. Um, and behind that culture is a lot of spirituality. There's a lot of uh, insight. There's a lot of philosophy. Stuff that, was, as a black person, was stripped from us that we didn't have, mm. right? It was either the church replaced your African culture and roots and identities, and we weren't Christian. We grew up Muslim, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but just in general, for black people as a whole, right? It's like, what is your... As an African-American, what is your culture? You can either relate to American culture, the American dream, mm. or some kind of pan-African kind of existence, yeah. um, or just like a religious kind of existence. But for us, we had this Asian martial arts-based kind of existence yeah. and with these roots in Buddhism and Shinto and Confucianism and Taoism and then uh, Samurai Code and Bushido Code and, yeah. you know, ethics and morals based on those kind of principles of like feudal times and warrior codes and secret society codes and stuff like that. And so we had this whole kind of moral and ethical system that also came with that, that mm-hmm. helped, helped us make it through kind of the hood. So a lot of the decisions that I make, a lot of the uh, things, even extending to the things I talk about my music, some of the philosophies come from having this cultural exchange when you're very young of being able to count in Japanese before you're able to count in English, nice. which is my reality. Yeah, because you know? exposure is so, it's, um, it's life-changing at times because, especially for you growing up in Chicago, it's just something, you know, like a block radius, you know? Like that's where you, and just to see something different, learn something different, and then to get culture from different um, people, is just like, it's, really, it's eye-opening. And then one thing I thought that was really great when I was a kid um, learning uh, martial art, it was the, the discipline, you know, um, and the self-control. And um, to have that within a chaotic environment helped me kind of just like navigate, just like, all right, this is just move yourself from the situation and think and then make a decision, you know. Um, so I can only imagine you growing up with your father as a structure and learning these, um, these tools and these different um, cultures and like how that shaped you and how that, like you said, um, changed you throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Like now that's embedded, that's part of your foundation. Mm-hmm. 
it's interesting because the schools that we opened up were in the hood. So they're in the 80s, 90s Chicago, the yeah. height of crack and gang, gang violence in Chicago. You got these, the weirdest thing that you can do is have a martial arts school in the middle of eight different gang neighborhoods, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we were right there in the midst. You know, it wasn't like this was out in the suburbs or out in the forest somewhere in some, you know, temple area where you're just isolated from society. Like you're in the midst of drive-bys and drug dealing and stuff like that. Um, and some of your senseis and instructors and fellow students are gang members and drug dealers and, and this person and that person. Um, but it kind of bull or police officers, but it boils down into, you know, this this code and this system of ethics based in the martial arts citizenship. Um, the way we treat if you're going to be a gangster, you're going to be a disciplined gangster. Mm. You know, if you're going to be a scientist, you're going to be a disciplined scientist. If you're going to be a teacher, you're going to be a disciplined teacher. If you're going to be a, a gang member, you're going to be a disciplined gang member mm. right? um, through the martial arts. The martial arts isn't really going to determine your career path. It isn't going to kind of set the type of person that you're going to become, but it can kind of set some of the, the ways that you carry yourself, no matter what kind of person you are. You know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to become a karate guy and then you're, you're not going to commit any crimes, you're not going to jail, or you're not going to be an asshole. Yeah. You know, it's like, hopefully it'll prepare you for certain experiences and certain conditions, right? So, I mean, it's, for me, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and it's always been a part. That's why I say I'm not a fan. I'm not an enthusiast. Yeah. It's something that this is, as part much as life. I am black, I am a martial artist at yeah. the same time. You, know? um, you talked about how, like, when you were practicing, you can then start noticing, uh, watching film, what was fake and what was real. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, was some, what was some of the movies you was like, oh, this, <laughs> like, okay, this is wild fake. And what was like, oh, shit. Like, like all, of, all of, like, Super Ninjas is fake. <laughs> All of Cable to Go Arms is fake. Yeah. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is fake. Yeah, totally. For some reason, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, it's that you know the difference between, you know, there's martial arts that is built for combat. There's martial arts that is built for um, self-defense. Mm-hmm. And when I say combat, I mean like to the death. Yeah. And there's martial arts that is built for competition, right? Which is like to the ref says stop, mm-hmm. you know, or to you get more points than the other person. That's interesting. I don't even, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Right, because you're not a martial arts master yeah. like me. Yeah. Totally. Who has a full understanding of Far from. joking. <laughs> That's a good point. And there's some people that are in the martial arts for the tradition. There's mm-hmm. people that are in it for the history, the aesthetics, right? There's people that are in it for the uh, philosophy. There's people that are in it for the health mm-hmm. purposes and reasons. So you can see where certain styles or certain films, right, that have a certain style, you know that style isn't a combat style, mm-hmm. you know? So you're not watching an Iron Monkey, right, or a Tai Chi Master and like, oh, yo, you could use Tai Chi to go beat up a whole army of people or win a wrestling match. It's like, no, nah, you're probably going to die, right? <laughs> um, trying to use Tai Chi in that way. Because um, it's not meant for that. Yeah. Right? It's, it's total purpose isn't meant for that. So you can see certain films. It's like, yeah, you don't kick that high. You know, even in karate, there's when you do competition karate versus combat karate versus self-defense karate, mm-hmm. most karate will teach you kind of not to kick. You shouldn't kick. And if you are going to kick, you definitely shouldn't kick above the waist, right? What's that? Because somebody can grab your leg and kill you. Right? Oh, yeah. You know? um, that makes sense. Even certain parts of judo, like judo, it's like to throw somebody in judo meant to kill them. Ipan was like death, right? It wasn't like two points. It was like, no, you throw a person to, so they land on the back of their neck, so they break their neck. Oh, wow. You know, or they land on top of their head, so they're rendered unconscious, and you choke them to death, you know? Um, it was if you don't have a sword, you're still able to kill. You know, if you lose your weapon, you're still able to kill somebody barehanded, right? 
So when you see certain films, they're like, oh, this film is based using like kickboxing. Like, ah, kickboxing is not meant to kill you. It can kill you, yeah. right? But it's, it's more meant to score points. But when you see a, a film about kickboxing, you're like, ah, it's, yeah, it's kickboxing doesn't. Like kill Claude, you, John Claude Van Damme. Yeah, he was yeah, he a fraud. <laughs> he was a fraud. But but no, he wasn't a fraud. I'm not joking. Fraud. I'm joking. But I mean, it, it, it's dope to see because yeah. there's if you look at it like, oh, this is for form and mm-hmm. performance and for play. We like, yeah, I, I, there's people in the martial arts that are, are in that fully for that. Yeah, who go to tournaments who will never fight, who never want to compete, who will never harm a person or a fly, but they'll do the most intense form and kata and you know that you've ever seen. Yeah. right. But they probably can't fight to save their life, yeah. you know, but they're not in it to fight. You know, they're in it to learn that form, yeah. you know. I'm really interested in like, so you went over to China and you went to, how long were you over there? Uh, we, was, we were going back and forth for a couple months, oh, actually, wow. prepping and just doing stuff. And then we went to shoot. It was probably like a week and a half where yeah. we did like the actual shoot. Yeah. What was, uh, I guess I started, what was one of the hardest things you had to learn or practice? Also, I forgot to even show this. Jay practiced martial arts. I did. She, I did. Um, she's very deadly. No, so, I'm not. No, I'm not. She's very deadly. I, I actually um, started with Taekwondo, mm. and then I made it to first Dan Black Belt many years ago. And then um, before I came to New York, I was studying um, Wing Chun. Oh, for nice, a bit. nice, nice, so, nice, yeah. nice, nice. The way our school worked, my father had his styles, and then he would bring in instructors to do like extended training at the school. Because mm-hmm. we, ma- we had a massive school. So we had like one area was just for kendo, one area was just for like combat weird training. We had like a boxing ring, it was nuts. Yeah. Then you would have like these kind of extra dojos mm-hmm. where we would come in and run a Tai Chi or a Taekwondo class or something like that. Yeah. So we did Taekwondo for like, I really only got to my yellow belt in Taekwondo because it was yeah. mostly just forms. Mm-hmm. You know, we already knew how to do the kicks and the punches right. through karate. It yeah. was like, you gotta do cha ju And I yeah. was like, I don't, I don't <laughs> keep learning these. Yeah. You know? Um, but, uh, what was the question? What was it like? The hardest thing? Hardest thing you had to learn. The hardest thing was actually the simplest thing was, uh, bachi. No, not bachi. Uh, pakwa. Pakwa? Is it pakwa? Nejatrin. Yeah, nejatrin. Uh, which is like health martial arts. Mm. Right? And it's just stances. Right? But these stances correlate to the internal, internal martial arts is, is what it is. Um, and from Neja Tran, you get like Tai Chi, Pakwa, um, I, I think there's one more. What's the other one? It's Tai Chi, Pakwa. Maybe it's, not, maybe it's just those two? Neja Tran? Yeah, yeah, But there's like a system. There's like a, like, Neja Tran is like the, the head title, and then underneath that, you get Tai Chi, Pakwa, and like something else. Bonnie's describing, um, um, going over the. the it's easy if you had a mic, Bonnie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, it was the, you do these certain stances. These stances correlate to a certain uh, part of your body internally so it might, or organs. So it might be your liver or mm. your heart or something like that. And it's these stances that you do. But in order to engage that system properly, the stance has to be absolutely correct. Right? Um, and you have to stay in that stance for an extended period of time. So staying in you know, this one kind of odd stance, which has no defensive purpose. Right? It has no offensive purpose. It's literally just a stance, right? Whereas you take like the martial arts or even Taekwondo or something like that, where these stances have an offensive and a defensive purpose externally, mm-hmm. right? Kibadachi is in Kutsudachi for kicking or punching or blocking or what have you. But these stances are like, no, this is to help your liver, 
right? Wow. So you're just oh, wow. standing in this one stance like this, or there's certain strikes, but the strikes aren't necessarily, it almost feels like they're dumbing it down for you. Like you had these masters who like articulate their bodies with their mind kind of a thing. Whereas like these stupid other folks who can't, you gotta, you gotta express it through like a punch. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's like you punch like this, or you hold your hand out like this, or you move like this. There is an, a, a, you can, there is kind of like a combat to, a, a, like this is an actual block and yeah. this is an actual punch. But it's not for punching and blocking, it's for something internal to occur mm. for you, right? So you see like a lot of older folks in China practicing Tai Chi or practicing Nei Tran and Pakwa. And it's purely for the internal health aspects of it, right? I'm not saying they can't beat you down with it, but it's, it's for this strike, which looks like this deadly strike. It's like, no, nah, this is to help my spleen. Oh, I've been having stomach problems. So. Oh, wow. Can yeah. you show me the stance that helps your liver or something later? Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Living in New York, we 100% need that stance. It's like this? Yeah. Lupe, all this right. fire. Something like that. But it's like three hours. And I was like, yo, how long do you stand? Three hours? Wow. Like three hours. Oh, wow. Wow. Like three hours. And that's why I was kind of like, yeah, this is, this is hard, <laughs> and I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Right? That's crazy. And we don't have that much time because we're a TV yeah, show. So I'm we like, gotta, <laughs> yeah. we got to do this and get up out of here. Damn. Yeah. So that was the hardest. The simplest thing, that was the hardest. Yeah. You know? What was uh, the opposite then, the simplest? Um, or just something that... Um, I mean, we did the Chinese, the Chinese uh, Muslim Wushu because it was moves that, are like, that I've done before. Mm. You know, it was just a matter of putting it all in a certain sequence that was that particular styles or that particular school's uh, form, like their form. Like you just can't freestyle it. You know, it's like this is their structured kind of way to approach this piece. Um, and so those move sets and punches and kicks and strikes and different things like that were somewhat easy. Um, but it was weird because it made me, uh, at my age came out, it's like, yo, I really feel like 35 right now. <laughs> when I was 20, this was like super easy super and I was like standing on my head and doing all type of crazy stuff. But like now it's like, uh, this hurts. You know, this little crane step to the left with this little kick. Like, yeah, yeah I, I can't keep doing these, right? Um, but, I mean, that was probably the, 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 the simplest, that stuff, because it was, it was relative to what the stuff I was already doing was or had wep- done. Was weaponry um, something that, um, that you got a chance Ta-da! to practice? So we use we in Fawang Temple, <laughs> nice. which is, uh, which is uh, there's a city called Dafang. It's Dafang, yeah? Dafang is like China's Kung Fu city, right? You go there, and it's literally like maybe like two, three hours on train from Beijing. And when you get there, like all of the, you know, like in New York, they got like the, like on the street, it's like bikes, mm-hmm. like a picture of a bike and then like only, and then like walking pedestrians and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Dafang, the streets have like silhouettes of Shaolin monks, like kicking, right? Oh. Painted on the street, mm-hmm. right? And it's like almost like the logo of the city. That is where all of the major kind of Wushu universities, martial arts academies, stuff and, and things are, because that's where Shaolin Temple is, mm-hmm. right? So Shaolin Temple's there. Shaolin Temple isn't really these days, it's more of a tourist attraction yeah. than it is like this deadly training center for, for violent Shaolin monks, right? Yeah. Not violent Shaolin monks. Um, but it's more of that. But around it is all these like institutions and schools which are like fully focused on teaching the martial arts without a religious aspect to it. Because Shaolin Kung Fu is very religious. Its bases are very religious. Um, but Shaolin Temple is pretty much kind of a tourist attraction. So there's another temple called Fawang Temple. Fawang Temple kind of looks just like Shaolin Temple a little bit, um, but it's like an active training thing. And it's mostly for children. 
right? So a lot of kids go there. And Fawang Temple, it was like the bad kids. <laughs> it was like the kids were like bad in the sense it was like you on your phone too much. I'm sending you to Fawang Temple to learn Shaolin okay, Kung Fu, all right. right? And their parents would send them out to like a boarding school. And all, you got all these kids dressed up as Shaolin monks, you know, and learning Shaolin Kung Fu from like the Shaolin master, right? And they're every day, seven days a week, learning Shaolin Kung Fu, right? And little experts. And the Shifu there, I was like, you know, I did weapons a lot when I was like a, a kid. And he was like, yeah, whatever. Um, I don't trust you. Like, you, <laughs> you, you don't have any power in your punches kind of a situation. He's like, you need to learn this basic stuff because weapons are advanced, yeah. mm. right? And as a kid, we started with weapons. Like, my father gave me Whoa. a sword first. He's like, here, take this sword and do something with it. Yeah. How about it? So I was like, wow. you know, I, I can work my way around a sword and a spear. Like, I'm kind of good. He's like, nah. You need to just learn this form and not hurt anybody. But they did a demonstration with all the kids. And all the kids came out and they were like working with swords and chain whips and spears and dowels and all this other stuff. And I was like, yo, I know how to do that. And he's like, nah. So after we were done filming and shooting, the kids were just laying around, like hanging around, was eating ice cream and stuff. And I was like, yo, let me get that sword. And the little girl gave me the sword. I was like, watch this. All right, did all my joints. Then the Shifu was like, he's like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I like your style. And I was like, all right, give me that, give me that spear. Now give me that staff. Now oh, give me wow. this and give me the dial and give me this and this. And then he's seen me like, oh, wow, this dude kind of knows what he's doing with those weapons. Yeah. You know, but it's, none of it's on camera. It's like all like, you know, all off camera. What is the, like you say, the, the biggest or one of the biggest misconceptions about martial arts and Jade, you can also chime in as well because as me, I'm interested. I think when people think of martial arts, they have the specific idea of what it is. And talking to people who've been doing martial arts for years, it's like, yeah, that's just TV, man. That's just a movie. Like this is yeah. what it's about. So like when people say martial arts master, they probably think of some guy with gray hair, beard, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I'm just like. And your experience in China, uh, when you were over in China and your experience practicing, what, and your, what are some misconceptions about martial arts that... Oh, I like to... Uh, Jade, what do, what do you think? People, people don't believe Lupe Fiasco whenever he oh. opens his stupid mouth. Yeah, they just think it's just, you know, either self-defense or just learning how to fight. But, I mean, martial arts is definitely a way of life, you know. Mm. Um, and it's just so funny because when you tell people, oh, I do martial arts or I've trained in martial arts, they're like, oh, show me something. And it's like... Do you ever get annoyed with that, Lupe? Do you ever, like, when people say, like, show me your moves? I get mad when other martial artists do that. Mm. Okay, yeah. Right? Because, like, come on, man. You know what this is. Yeah. Right? you just trying to, you either trying to make me look bad or you're trying to make it seem like I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? So you're really trying to put me on Front Street in this donut shop, right? right. To, to look like an ass, right? To prove to you that your style is better or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but what my father used to do, which is pretty cool, is people were like, yo, so you know, show us a move. And he would be like, first, he always say if, I, if he ever got into a fight, first thing he would do, and he would pull his gun out. He would like, I would probably shoot you, oh <laughs> to be honest. Because, because this is the state of the art of martial arts. It's military arts. So for him, if you're a true martial artist, then it's military arts. You're always practicing at the state of that art, the highest state, and the highest state of that for Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on what side of the fence you sit on, it's, uh, it's, it's guns and bombs at this point, you know? Um, it's not swords and kicks and punches. So f for one, he would dispel that. Mm -hmm. He's like, 
I would probably shoot you first. I'm not gonna wrestle with you, grapple with you, or do anything like that. Mm -hmm. But then he would also then he would say, oh, but I know what you're talking about. You talking about some karate kung fu stuff, right? And he was like, he only only fought with these two fingers, right? Oh wow. And he, he was able to generate enough chi in his body and direct it to the tips of his two fingers. And so he would, like, he would have his students like, come, attack, attack me. And you would do all these wild kicks and do all this craziness and do all these ah, ah, ah. And he would like deflect a block. Or, or the best defense to, against a kick is to step back like two feet. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, you're kicking the air, basically, right? Yeah. And he, he would wait till you do all this stuff, kind of let you get tired out. Then he would wait till you got close. He would grab something on you, right? Pull you in, tap you with his, with his tips of his two fingers on the side of your temple, mm -hmm. and knock you unconscious. That's so wow. That was his jaunt. Wow. You know? Then it would be like, okay, well, show me something with that sword, Mr. Samurai Man. I don't want to see it. <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, you smoke? Like, yeah, I smoke. Smoke. So I light up a cigarette, right? You sit there, put the cigarette in your mouth, and he would be like, take out a sword and cut it in half in their mouth. What? Wow. wow. That's wild. <laughs> Sound like a deadly man. Oh, he's a dangerous, <laughs> insane person. Yeah. Are you on that level yet? No, nah, not really. No, <laughs> I don't, nah, I'm not really. I don't trust myself to that level. Um, but I mean, there's, the misconceptions is people think that for me, it's, it's the depth uh, mm. to what Jay was, was speaking to, the layers that are part of it. What of it is actually obsolete, right? The kind of expectations that people put on the martial arts from outside who, who are actually in the martial arts, right? But don't know that they're practicing something that's obsolete, that they're practicing something that wasn't, that's a product of the 70s, a product of somebody trying to capitalize on the excitement of Shokazuki or Jean-Claude Van Damme or Bruce Lee and mm -hmm. so just start this school with this mishmash of all these different things. Yeah. Whereas if you go to like Japan, you go to like a traditional karate, Okinawan karate school, you're gonna be punching for like three years, mm. right? Just because that's where it is. That's where it goes. It's from like the this is karate. Yeah. It's, pun it's punching. It's the it's the punch, right? It's like, but I want to do all these spin kicks, work with nunchucks. It's like, nah, b. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nunchucks, size, all these other things. These were a defense against the katana, mm -hmm. right? You didn't just bust out nunchucks because mm -hmm. this other dude had nunchucks. Yeah. You know, that's not how it worked. You know, it's like that dude had a sword. You were a farmer. You didn't have that. You know, swords were either too expensive, right? Or you didn't know how to take care of a sword. Or, you know, a sword is like a whole, it's a status symbol versus an actual legit weapon on a battlefield. On a battlefield, most of the samurais used spears. The sword was the last resort when you lost your spear because you wanted to kill people at a distance. Swords actually used to be mad long. Right? This would be Odachi, where you wanted to like kill somebody way over there with a sword. Um, swords got shorter for like political reasons to make them less dangerous. Right? So you actually have to get closer to a person to kill them. Right? So you see a lot of swords with the hilts kind of cut off for like political reasons, right? To, to take away the power of the samurai class in Japan. So it's like history things, all these other kind of pieces and parts where if you're not fully engaged into the martial arts practice, you'll just have these wild assumptions and you'll be a black belt with 30 ranks and all type of other stuff, but not have an understanding of how these periods in Japan shifted, mm -hmm. which directly affect the art that you teach and practice. And what you're really teaching is like some weird westernized version of jujitsu mm. to like go score points, tear mm. your body up for some trophy that's going to like break in the car on the way home. Yeah. 
you know, it's like, what, is that martial arts to you? And for a lot of the world, that is, unfortunately. This brings up, I think it was last year, I was talking with my coworker, and he was telling me about how certain artists, um, hip-hop artists sometimes, um, they appropriate Japanese, Chinese um, culture, specifically just the aesthetics of martial arts. Um, he brought up, he talked about a couple of artists, and I was like, I was like, man, like, he brought up, I'm fucking sick, he brought up Kendrick, he was like, I'm not, she's like, I'm, this feels a little bit weird for me, and then, but he also brought up you as a, this is someone who does it right. Talking to you now, I totally understand, because he's like, you can tell when someone is like, I'm doing this because of style, versus, no, this is an interest, this is something that I'm very much, um, well, for me, it's my life. Exactly. Right? It's not an yeah. I had no choice. It yeah. was like being born Muslim. So I didn't have a choice, you mm -hmm. know? I was born into a martial arts world, yeah. you know? And it's just, it's weird. I mean, but I was also, I, was, I love hip-hop. I love all these other things. Yeah. You know, I love other parts of Japanese culture that have nothing to do with martial arts. And I love other, I love Indian culture. I love Australian culture. I love African culture. I love all these different, so there's all type of inputs. But in terms of, like, what would I be doing right now if I wasn't rapping mm -hmm. that I could go back to do? I mean, I'd probably go, I'd probably start a school, but I'd probably go join somebody's karate, yeah. you know, school or something like that, um, and possibly teach on the level that I could teach at. Um, but, I mean, we can't get confused, again, with the aesthetics yeah. of, you know, Kendrick wearing a kung fu uniform. But it's not a kung fu uniform. That was just how people dressed in China at that time. That was a, just a coat. Mm -hmm. that they just happened to do kung fu in, but they also happened to, like, make dim sum in it, and they also happened to, like, <laughs> oh, sorry. You know, they actually happened to pull rickshaws with it or, you know, give speeches in it, right? Same thing with, like, the Japanese stuff. You know, so the, 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 the Iaido uniform, the hakama. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like a suit. Like a suit. Like, it's put on, like, a three-piece suit. Mm -hmm. If you directly correlated it to Western tradition, like, that was like a businessman's suit because mm -hmm. the samurais were... They weren't necessarily businessmen, but they were like suit-wearing guys versus like, I'm just throwing some pants and some jeans and a tank top. It's like, no, you got to put on this, you know, this kendogi and you got to put on this hakaman. You got to, you know, a certain aesthetic which you need to have. But that was just their regular clothes, you know. It didn't give you any type of tactical benefit wearing that. It didn't make your kung fu stronger. It didn't make your aido stronger. It didn't make your karate stronger because you wear a karate gi. Karate gi is actually funeral attire. Shinto funeral attire. So it's all white because white is the color of death, right? So you, they put on their, their funeral clothes because when you did karate, you, you did karate to the death. So it's like as soon as you got killed, they just buried you, mm. right? And you were already wearing your funeral attire. That's why it's white. It gives you no tactical advantage white. There's no, there's no camouflage. It's like when we're white <laughs> uniform in the middle of this battle like, so everybody can see me. Like, nah, that ain't how we pulled off warfare. Yeah. So there's certain aesthetic things which you can't say, oh, that's fake because it's, that's because this dude is wearing a kung fu suit or kung fu suit, mm -hmm. you know, then he's a martial artist or not a martial artist. It's like, nah, it's a, that's not the best way to kind of start judging, mm -hmm. right, things. So, and nobody's fake. That's the other part of it. Nobody's fake, right? If you do martial arts, even if it's the smallest degree, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. You literally have people who only punch. They don't do martial arts. They've been doing it for three, four, five, six years and still haven't mastered it. Their teachers, like, you still are off. That is making fake because they only know one move, but they know if they master that one move, they hit you with that one punch, they're gonna break every bone in your chest. Yeah. You know? But that's all they know. They don't know all these 30 kicks and 100 different forms and a thousand different languages and all the you know, terminology for all these different moves. So, I mean, always take the grain of, a, a grain of salt with people who don't do martial arts, talking about the martial arts. 
take eight grains of salt when you're talking to people who actually do the martial arts when you're talking about the martial arts, mm. Mm. right? I think the only person that you really should be listening to about the martial arts in terms of not necessarily training or qualifying yourself, but just your perspective on it should come from you. Mm. It's like, what are you doing in the martial arts? Have that conversation with, with yourself, mm -hmm. right? Because you're not going to go and battle. You're not going to go throw on some armor and go battle, right? Uh, some people might go to tournaments, but for the most part, nah, people not going, nah, you're not jumping in the ring. Just, I'm going to go jump in the fight. Like, nah, you're not doing that, right? Most fights are going to be sloppy and ugly and stupid, right? Yeah. Most people are going to be drunk when they're fighting anyway, <laughs> you know, so it's like, <laughs> what do you want to do what are you doing in the martial arts yeah. and are, are you comfortable with your level of skill and technique and are you really as long as you're not trying to take what you say and project it onto somebody else that's when it becomes dangerous mm. as long as you're trying to judge somebody as long as you're comfortable with your quality and level in the martial arts then that's all that matters yeah um i'm also hoping i'm well i'm asking um did you record music in china mm-hmm nice I surely did it's, nice. called, it's called Beaten Path for a reason. <laughs> Why do you do an interview with food? It's like I know. weird. I just, it's, it's different. And the food is cold. I was. That's <laughs> why I, I, I said we should have ate a little bit in the beginning. You're right. Come on. You're right. Trust the process. Um, so when I was going through this experience, I, I was keeping a diary. Mm. But the diary was verses. It was raps. You know, it was bars. Um, and when you see the first episode, you see me meet with a producer in China. Um, and the first thing I get from him is a beat. You know, I was like, I want a beat which to, to act as kind of my diary, mm. you know, my notepad to, re to record these things that I'm seeing and witnessing and feeling too. And so through the whole show, you'll see me just kind of like, you know, we do something, then I'll kind of jot something down or something like that. And that's me coming up with like these bars, mm. you know? And at the end of the show, when we come back to uh, Beijing, I go to the studio and I record, you know, kind of my findings, you know, my research, my thoughts and ideas. Uh, and it's a song called Air China um, that we did. Um, shot, just shot a video to it not so long ago as well. Nice. And it's in the show. So you'll see, see the video, hear the song, um, and the last episode. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's a song would be a standalone or would it be part of an album or? No, it's a standalone. It's just part of the show. Okay. You know, it's packaged in with the show. Um, are we putting it on YouTube? It's okay. a standalone music video, but it's still in the in the body of the show, yeah. yeah. Come on, boss. <laughs> Correct me. What if, so it's separate from the show. Separate from the show. Gotcha. Yeah. But you, you gotta watch the show. You gotta watch the show to listen to, to it. To see, yeah. This yeah, is yeah. Um Are you recording um new music? Am are, I? Yeah. Are you are you Am uh I? <laughs> I'm hoping. Am I recording new music? Why? It would would be it, Why? There's supposed to be one more. Is it? Hopefully. <laughs> Feel like I feel like so maybe Why? I don't Why? know because I sometimes get because there I remember hint, you hinting at like yeah I think I'm good with, I think you tweeted out or something I'm good with rap right now I am which is fine <laughs> I actually but what like, does that mean what does that mean know. to you I don't know because as to me I'm just like I always ask artists like does a rapper ever retire because. What's wow. retirement? That's that's exactly. See, we, it's a lot of vague verbiage. It's a lot. Yeah. So, like, to me, I'm I'm the same thing. I was like, does a rapper ever retire? What is retirement? Why would he retire? What is rap? Oh no, you know that's a deeper <laughs> question. That's a deeper question. Yeah, I mean, what is rap? Is rap putting out albums? No. Is rap rapping right in the shower? Is rap just? 
putting some bars down on paper and nobody ever reads them but you. Mm-hmm. It's rap, just you and a, f- a few circle of homies and y'all just bouncing verses off each other and yeah. that's it, you know? It's rap recording. Is rap always recording? Is rap just doing things for the moment? Uh, is rap physical? Is rap a, right? You see where I'm going with that? Yeah. Um, so a lot of times we put a rapper's career focused on their album releases, um, which is cool. I mean, it, this, at one point it was singles. Yeah. Way back in the day, it was like, a, you put out a single, you're a rapper. Mm. You put out another single, you're a rapper. You put out an album, you're like, oh, you got a deal, right? Um, so it's nice, probably, our own fault for not really taking control as rappers of what it means to be a rapper what is rap right we let kind of the commercial space define it for us yeah but at a certain point you, you once you put out a bunch of albums you just kind of like now what you yeah. know now what uh and you start to rethink um and reapproach what it means to be a rapper you start to look at how do you gain how do you pull how do you start to write the narrative for what it means to be a rapper mm. and what rap is yeah um, and so we started Sosa, Society of Spoken Art, you know, which is rappers know how to do what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. Mm. So Sosa introduces rappers to what they're doing, right? The linguistic theory, the communication theory, the cognitive processes, the semiotic processes, all these kind of nerdy, weird mm. language based, the history of language on one level and introducing that to rappers and see what happens. Um, and that's what I've been doing for five years. Mm. So Sosa has been my album, so to speak. You know, I've been working on, right? That's been my rapping. And it's only with a certain fuse, very private, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but that's been my rap experience for the past five years, yeah. right? So even putting out Droga's Wave, Droga's Light, the whole thing, my yeah. focus has been like working in soul stuff. What sparked that? Um, that? That piece, you know, you put out a bunch of albums and then you sit back and you're like, now what? Mm. A, a bunch of reviewers who aren't musicians, aren't rappers, are going to not know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, you have a bunch of fans who do and relate to it and it's just personal experiences and stuff like that. Make a little money, maybe you don't make a little money. And then what? And it's hot for like two weeks. Then it's kind of like- Streaming, cause yes. Yeah, you on to the next. Rappers feel more like you're competing with them. Hey, um, what about my album? You ain't for my album, right? It's kind of like, um, yeah, you know. So it became like, what's missing? What else is there to do? Mm-hmm. Is there a bigger thing to talk about? Is there a bigger narrative? Is there more interesting as a rapper? What does it mean to retire, yeah. right? Um, what does it mean to leave something behind, you know, in a very substantial, serious way? What does it mean to do something objective in rap space? So that's been, you know, Sosa was born out of that. And it's constantly being improved. The more members that we pull in, the more points of view and thoughts that come into it, the, the minds that come into Sosa, you know, change what that should be, adjust what that should be, adjust that narrative. What has, I guess, some, some things that you experienced that, um, throughout this last five years when... Um, with the program that uh, people aren't that nice as they think they are. I'm not as nice as I think I were Starting Sosa, I was like, I'm number two <laughs> now You know two years or three years into our apprentice program. I'm like I'm like a good I'm like a solid like 85 mm. And nice meaning like like nice nice mm. like a, extremely elegant extremely uh, intentional poetic richly poetic executions of narrative in extreme detail on any topic, any concept, any theme whatsoever. Mm-hmm. When you sit around a table of people that can do that all day, every day, you start to really question your own kind of self, your, your self kind of qualifications about what level you think you actually are when you have like a 13 a year old girl who can like do everything that you do better. You know, and it's like, oh yeah, that's a humbling kind of situation, yeah. you know? I think um, as a fan and also as someone who just, um, 
look forward to your opinions on a lot of things. Yeah, that shit is spicy as hell. No, I, I took the, the pepper off. Yeah. Oh, just the flavor on there is like, mm, <laughs> that's delicious. Um, I really value your opinion on hip hop and the technicality of it, and just mm -hmm. the whole um, everything critiquing. I remember you critiqued your own album, mm -hmm. and I remember just thinking that was like the most fascinating thing I, I think I saw in like years, just because it was an honest critique. Mm -hmm. And it was just because if you ask an artist, hey, what's your favorite album? Like, yeah, man, my last one was probably my best one. And you'd be like, is it? Mm -hmm. I'm a, is it? And have you ever thought about looking into that? Because I feel like that's just something that comes so natural of you. And that I feel like it will be fascinating. Like, just to have, I don't think we have, honestly, that at right now. And um, right. what do you mean? Like someone that can look at bodies of music and be like, Hey, this is why this is. This is why he said this. Mm -hmm. This is why this is happening. Yeah, yeah. This is why he used this part here. Um, this synth is used here. Stuff like that is from a artist standpoint and critically that and that's digestible to like an everyday fan. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something. Yo, know, that review is probably the best review I've, I've read in a minute. Uh, but I'm just like, yeah, actually, I mean, it takes a lot of time. Yeah, for one, yeah, it takes a lot of research. Um, I mean, Absol asked me to review his piece, mm -hmm. and I did, I did that because he asked me, he's a friend. Yeah. I wouldn't do that for everybody. I don't think it's necessary. I think what you'll see, especially if you do a lot of the, the analytical stuff that we do at Sosa, you see is a lot of people just riffing on the same things. It's not really that complex. It's not really that elegant. What makes it stand apart, and this is for a majority of it. So this review right here is a majority of, 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 of what's being put out today on every level. It's a lot of rehash of, of kind of... Uh, I don't want to say primitive concepts, but primal concepts in rap that are just rehashed. The only thing that makes them different is the tone of that particular person's voice. Mm -hmm. And what you find yourself critiquing is the tone of that person's voice. But that's irrelevant because it's, it's, it's their individual expression tonally, right? But what they're doing uh, from a poetic device standpoint or figurative language standpoint, it's a lot of the same things, right? And so we've kind of identified maybe five or six very specific core poetic you know, exercises or expressions that people use, um, and they don't change. And no matter if you're a great rapper or a whack rapper, you got a gruff voice or a grimy voice, you're from Harlem, you're from uh, Oklahoma, right? As long as you're doing these five or six things, then you're gonna come across as a great rapper or a good rapper or a competent rapper, right? And some of the stylistic parts, I mean, you can get into the contextual reasons why these, why mumble rap generated why it exists um, and why it's so popular. And there's a lot of technical commercial. There's aspects of it where you, you don't have to do a review for every album. You just do a review for that era and why those things are, and it'll answer it, you know? Um, and hopefully you'll get clarity. But it really comes down, really, to your particular preference for a particular person's tone of voice versus anything that they're doing, at least at this point, within the, within the space of, like, poetic devices, right? What was the last um, piece of music or album song um, that that made you um, impress you? Uh, I mean, I, I really only, uh, again, the same way with martial arts, there's different layers. There's different ways that I approach rap. Some rap I approach just to have fun, yeah, listen totally. to it for fun. Uh, there's other rap that I listen to it to genuinely train, right, and practice and craft. Um, and I only, the only people I really listen to nowadays that do that is, uh, is ASAP Rock. Now, ASAP Rocky, you know, mm -hmm. shout to ASAP, mm -hmm. but ASAP Rock, mm -hmm. uh, and Homeboy Sandman, yeah. and MF Doom. So those are the only three rappers that I listen to in a professional level, mm -hmm. like professional grade, sushi grade rap 
kind of a thing. Yeah. And it's more for the technical pieces. Because um, for me, uh, Homeboy Sam and Aesop Rock are kind of two of the only rappers that actually record on music. Mm. So there's a bunch of battle rappers who do a bunch of kind of acapella insane stuff. But in terms of music and working under that constraint that are actually doing new things, like pushing certain vocabularies and certain other kind of aspects of entendre and metaphor and narrative and that I listen to. But I listen to everything. I listen to Japanese hip-hop. I listen to... Um, I, I don't really listen to a lot of the new releases that come out yeah. um, because I don't want to get put into the mediocrity of now, the, just the rehashing of just the same concepts. So, because you influence whether you want to be or not. So I kind of like push some of this. I like, I'll hear it and I'll check back so, in. Yeah. And as soon as I hear that you're just basically doing the same thing you did in your last album, just with new beats, mm. I'm like, I'm out. Yeah. You know, I top out. What, what Japanese hip hop, what are some um, some people like you listen to? There's this new kid uh, who, actually, I just posted him up yesterday. This kid, uh, uh, he's not new, but his name is Daichi Yamamoto, right? Mm. Um, and he came through through one of my homies, Kenji, Kenji Oga. Kenji Oga actually started uh, Flight Club. Uh, mm. was one of the founders of Flight Club who lives in Japan. And he knows that I'm like a Japanese hip hop. I am a Japanese hip hop enthusiast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and so he just sent me random stuff. Right. And he sent me he sent me a Daichi Yamamoto. He's a, a young artist from Kyoto, um, but half black, half Japanese. Um, and he uh, I think he's half black and half Japanese. And he uh, he actually came to my show like 10 years ago. I did a show in Kyoto and he's like I posted his, his thing up yesterday. And I was, he was like, yo, I was at your show like 10 years ago in Kyoto. And I was like, oh, what is that? You know? <laughs> Connection. Yeah, so. um, also, I, I follow you because um, I love hearing about your just viewpoints and just general things in America. Like, I remember you spoke about abortion and also adoption, um, a number of topics. So I guess my general question is what what's happening now, whether in the States or the world, that's like caught your eye, your, have your attention now or something? You're just like paying attention to. Mm. I mean, there's there's tons of things that you can get upset about, or not even upset, just like some stuff that just like. Well, I mean, there's ton, there's tons of things that you can just observe, but you can't do anything about. Yeah, you know, that really upset you or really uh, inspire you or really whatever. But there's nothing you can do to really participate or, or change it or control it. Totally. Um, so I'm aware of tons of things that are happening in the world and in the space. And there's like 90% of that stuff I can't do anything about, no matter how much I speak to it or work to it or what have you. Um, but I mean, maybe in terms of things that I can actually have an effect on, that I'm kind of thinking about. Nothing really, mm. to be honest. Right? No, honestly. Not really. Um, yeah, kind of like nothing. I think. How often? How often do you? <laughs> <laughs> how, how often do you game? Um, I'm waiting on Death Stranding, so I really, I really only play Hideo Kojima games. Mm -hmm. So you know, I did Street Fighter because I had to do the match with Daigo. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wasn't like a huge Street Fighter plat console player like that anyway, yeah. just for that match. Um, and I really only buy Playstations for Hideo Kojima games, you know. So like, I bought it. I bought a PlayStation. I think three to play four. I bought a four to play Phantom, uh, Phantom Pain five. If they were doing PlayStation five, I would be doing that to play uh, Death Stranding. So I basically just buy consoles and wait on Kitty Okajima games to drop. So I'm waiting on Death Stranding to come out in November. Then I'm going to lock away for like six weeks <laughs> in some, some basement in Thailand and just play, uh, play Death Stranding. 
Is there a time that you remember or memory that you have uh, from back when you started or during your whole process that you look back and like, wow, I can't believe that happened um, that you haven't told? That I haven't told anybody. Yeah, I can't like, believe that happened. Like a studio memory. Uh, like uh, this is so cliche. <laughs> <laughs> it's cliche, but then you sometimes you get good stories. You like you was recording. Like I remember one time recording uh, food and liquor, and then such and such came through. I actually got a bad memory, so a lot of that old stuff I can't even remember, to be honest. So it's most like new stuff or lies. Like I say, he's like some lies right now. If you want to hear. No, no. Okay. No. <laughs> Um, man, I got to meet uh, Nas, like legit. I see, yeah, look, yeah, that was legit. My next question. Yeah, that was I got my... to meet Nas. Yeah, like legitimately meet him. You know, for a while I thought Nas didn't like me, man. Um, him, A Z, like my heroes. I thought they didn't like me. Like, I got a chance. The, the first was like I met Nature, right? Then I cried like a little bitch at MTV, right? Mm -hmm. With Nature there. Um, not because I met Nature, but because of something else. Yeah. But met Nature. I was like, Yo, Nature. Yo, firm. Yo, you raised me. Da, yeah. da, 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 right? And only seen, only bumped into Nas like once, and then kind of like at a distance when we were on tour. I think with Jay, when Jay and Nas, remember when Jay Z and Nas went on tour for yeah. a little bit? Um, I think I may have bumped into him like just slightly. But anyway, we was at this at the City Harvest Gala. Me and Bonnie, silly Har City nice. Harvest Gala, uh, and I look and there's fucking Nas right there, and I'm like, <laughs> Yo, it's Nas. I was like, I'm walking up. He eating. I'm like, mm -hmm. Fuck that. Sup? And he was like, yo, da da da. Let's exchange information. Let's meet up, da da da. And so we uh we met up. Went to the studio, went Saw to Massville studio. Yeah. And it was because I'm still like, you know, this dude don't really rock with me like that. Da -da -da. And he knew everything, B. That's crazy. <laughs> he knew Not everything. <laughs> Not everything, but he knew like everything. And he was like, yo. I was like, look, man, you know, you, I was like, you, I got my name from da da. He's like, I, I know. That's crazy. I know where you got your name from, right? And then the ill, crazy piece, this is crazy. The ill, crazy piece was Nas took his phone, he showed me his phone. Mm -hmm. And he had a picture of my nephew in his phone what? that Erica Badu sent him. And Erica Badu was like, yo, this is Lupe's nephew, Nas. So my sister named her son Nas. Mm -hmm. The reason Erica Badu sent him a picture of, my nephew was because Erica Badu is my sister's like midwife doula mm -hmm. like situation. So she helped give birth to my nephew. Whoa. What? Right? <laughs> what? So that was strange. So Nas just busts out. So he's like, yeah, Erica sent me this. And I was like, yo, why you got a picture of my nephew? And he's like, yo, Erica sent that. That, was, that story's amazing. <laughs> you got to ask it. And then we played King Nas. So that was the piece. It was like, yo, my homeboy was like, yo, King Nas. And he's like, yo, that third verse when you was da 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 I was like, yo, that's you. Like, that whole song is me rapping like you. It's not about you. It's about my nephews, King and Nas. He was like, yo, your nephews, check this out. Bop. I had a picture wow. of my nephew in his phone. Damn. Yeah, so that's that was crazy. That was nutty. You on Lost Tapes too? Nah, you know what I want? Am I on Lost Tapes too? Yeah. No. Uh, Damn. You know what I want, though? What? I want the original bootleg. Sorry, Nas. The original <laughs> bootleg. <laughs> of when it wasn't lost tapes when yeah. it was like the leaked album yeah of like i don't even know if it was stillmatic yeah. or whatever it was like i had that bootleg back in the day somebody sent it to me from new york and i used to rock with that the original project window beat like yeah. all that anyway oh, that's probably worth we, we talked about it though talked about some of the stuff i was working on oh shit! you want to share anything <laughs> yeah actually yeah so i have a bunch of albums okay that are never coming out okay there you go until after I'm dead. Uh -huh. 
um, ideas and concepts. And one of the concepts I told him about was that was related to him was uh, Amy Winehouse. So Amy Winehouse, you seen a documentary? Yeah. So she did, they did a documentary about her life. And that was a moment where she had called Salam Remy and left a voice message. And she was talking about how she was writing all these battle raps. Right? She's like, I'm writing these really, uh, very, very, really neat, beautifully alliterated little battle raps. And she was like, yo, next, next time I meet you, we're going to battle rap. And she, you know, she, she dies. Mm. So I told Nas, I was like, yo, I'm working on this thing about Amy Winehouse where, about writing battle raps. So if Amy Winehouse was like a battle rapper, opera singer, that's the little album that I'm working on called Samurai. Because she told Slime Remy that she was a samurai and that she was like going like to kill him on the battlefield with her battle raps. Oh, shit. Yeah, so I'm writing that. Oh, so damn. Phone. And I was like, yo, that's dope. And I was like, yeah. So if you want a verse, let me know. Damn, damn. But it's never coming out. You're never going to hear it. Yeah, okay. It's just in my <laughs> phone. Right. I actually got it written in my phone. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, Sorry. I'm going to pray. I'll produce my soundtrack, too. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's never coming out. <laughs> but it's called The Samurai. It's about Amy Winehouse if she was a battle rapper. Damn. Uh, well, I guess I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> but um, finally, um, we asked everybody... Um, once we're done, um, um, if you if some artists this came whole to lunch, you, I haven't eaten anything. I'm <laughs> so hungry right now. Like we're gonna leave here to go get something to eat from this quote unquote lunch. <laughs> so anyway, um, if you had, if you had, if an artist came up to you and was like, "Lupe, I need some advice. What would be something you would tell me?" <laughs> I'm telling to the joint salsa. <laughs> Roll the dice and try and get in the salsa. Nice. Yeah. And yeah, thank you guys for. For taking time out. Jade, thank you very Jade, much. Thank you. Thank you for all the input. Yeah, I mean, I had hanging. a lot of questions here, but Manny was really, I, you I know, was he was you. just like, I, I'm I like, was man. Wait, no, we're not over yet. We're not over yet. We're not over yet. All right, two questions. Yes. I want to go back to your training. Yeah. Did you ever enter competitions? Yeah. And did you ever do demonstrations? Yes. So we actually had one of the top uh, demonstration teams in the state. I would say yeah. the, the country, to be honest. Uh, especially yeah. when we, but we never went national. We always stayed local in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, most, most of the fathers we went, we had a school, a sister school in Detroit that we used to go up to, but we never went national. But when we would see what the other like national level demo teams were doing, yeah. it's like, yo, we killing that. You know, we're breaking, cutting stuff off people, you know, had a, had a, a, a band, like our own kind of like band that would do all the music behind the scenes. We did lion dance, like oh, we yeah. did all type of crazy stuff. So I think we had one of the top demo teams in the country, definitely in the state. Definitely in the city of Chicago, probably the number one demo team. Um, we did breaking, all that stuff. Yep. And, and I competed when I was younger. I competed in kata and yeah. did some competition, but I didn't. I didn't like fighting. You know, yeah. that was my thing. So eventually, I, I stopped competing altogether. Did you win any competitions? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I won a couple, um, like junior kata stuff. Yeah. I used to win. Um, not a lot of fighting stuff. Mm. Um, because we were, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like the point-based system thing. Yeah. And then people did these really stupid, you know, ah! yeah, they yeah, would bounce back yeah, yeah. and like punch you in the chest. <laughs> so I'm like, yo, you, you, that was whack, right? Yeah. So I would like, I, I actually would just punch people in the face and get dis disqualified. So, so I you, have to you were, you were allowed like head contact in your competitions. No, oh, no. you weren't. No, I think maybe side of the head, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Because okay. Taekwondo is all trying to give people concussions, right? That's all y'all yeah. about. Yeah. I want to kick you in the head. Like, come on, <laughs> come on, homie, chill out. Chill out, BTS. Stop trying to kick me in the head. BTS. <laughs> <laughs> Love it.
Um. <laughs> um, and then also, is instructor lineage important to you? Because you went to China and you know you spoke with all these chiefs. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it is. I mean, the, unfortunately, um, I don't think you see a lot of like family lineage even yeah. in Japan. A lot of the the those old like katori shintoryu in in Japan, right? Yeah. For for kinjitsu, their their headmaster doesn't the, the legitimate like blood line yeah he doesn't practice you know mm. he's just like the headmaster of the school but the actual right. master and trainer of the, the, the shihan of the school is uh you know he's not part of that family tradition it's mm -hmm. like a student of this one of the master before him who was a student of the master yeah. before him um and unfortunately you don't really see that even our school our lineage went away from us because i started mm -hmm. rapping like right. a jerk um <laughs> the 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 lineage of our school went to one of my father's uh, other senseis, one of his mm -hmm. top senseis, and he took the system and, and started his yeah. own thing with it. But I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's necessary in terms of lineage, in terms of bloodline, yep. but in terms of like who, who the, the, the sensei felt, because it's not just how much skill you have, right. right? It's also part of the charisma. It's about being able to, to organize and keep the school together, pay the bills. You know, there's other aspects of it that need to be taken in consideration beyond just someone's skill level or somebody's, you know, last name. You know, like, do you actually know how to run this as an organization right. or run this as a club or run this as a society or something like that? So, you know, but I think it's important as long as as long as the sensei picks who he feels yeah, is agreed. that person to pass it along and so be it. Yeah. And then we spoke about movies and what you thought was like what movies were fake. But what are your favorite All movies are fake. A sec on Bach. But people actually died. You know, right. people were actually getting killed. And no, they wasn't. Slow like snuff field. Look at him. I'm like, oh, people got <laughs> like, killed? People got killed in Long Block? But yeah, I'm sorry. What are your favorite martial arts films? Mm. Favorite martial arts movie, Bloodsport. I was going to say what? that too. So good. Classic. Bloodsport, B. From the Have you seen that, Manny? 1,000%. Bloodsport? All right. Oh, okay. come on. Oh, no, no, no. 1,000%. <laughs> okay. If I had to end, like, with the, what's the guy's name? I forgot his name, but I, pretty much, I have, I have the VHS, pretty much. That's how much I yeah. liked it. I stole it from Brockbuster. Oh, swag. Yeah. Shout uh, out to Brockbuster. Tai Chi Master mm. with, with Jet Li, the original. Yeah. The original dub. Um, Iron Monkey was ill. Like, these were transition movies where it went to, like, super high-budget stuff. But, like, yeah. Chinese Super Ninjas, uh, uh, Kung Fu Kids. Um, oh, my God. Look at these chopsticks. Uh... <laughs> There's a movie called Budo, mm. The Art of Killing, which is actually a documentary about Japanese martial arts, oh. which is something that we used to watch in, in the karate school because it was actually, it was a legit film, yep. right? It's a documentary. And that was one of the illest kung, like martial arts movies, uh, you know, like documentary from like the 70s, maybe early 80s, something like that. And that, was, mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. Um, King of Kickboxer yep. with uh, Billy Blanks, pre-Tabo Billy Blanks. Yeah, yeah. Shh, ridiculous. King of Kickboxer, check yeah. that out. Um, what else? Was, was Jackie was Jackie Chan? Um, was he good? Hell yeah! yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, Jackie so Chan was super. If y'all would say legit. he was did the the show one, I would have started probably balling. Nah, Donnie Yen, Donnie Yen, <laughs> yeah. Jackie Chan, uh, Sammo Hung. Sammo Hung what's, is a legend. What's so the good. dude with the with the with the mole right here? Who always was in the Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung movies? Can't remember his name, but that guy. And of course, Jet Li, young baby Jet Li. Fearless. Yeah. You can see baby Jet Li movies. Um, yeah. What's the one? Um, Imp Man? Who's the actor? Imp Man. That's Donnie Yen. Donnie Yang? Yeah. So he's, okay. Because there was like, he's the real, he's the one. I was yeah. like, oh, dun, 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 d
some old old kung fu movies yeah, action yeah. right there. I, I'm a, I just made a note of all the movies where I said. I think I've seen half of them, so I'm a, I'm gonna see that. I'll send you more, Manny. Please, please. I'll send you more. I love yeah. I love Kung Fu. But movies. I think now, I, to be honest, I think the illest movies now are like uh, all those all those like uh, Tony Ja, like the yes. the, mm. the, the Ong Bak joints. Okay, gotcha. Because it's like legit technique mm. with with something that we haven't seen before. Like you never seen real legit like Muay Thai mm-hmm. to that to mm-hmm. that degree. Like legit Muay Thai. Um, not like like John Claude Van Damme movies, like Tong, <laughs> like Tong Po movie tie, yeah. you know some of that. Um, but then with the action and then the way it's choreographed, like all of that, like taking cues from Jackie Chan with doing his own stunts and yeah. people legitimately getting fucked up on set, like, yeah. which I don't I don't think is, but I guess like on black people really falling out of trees, like yo, you really want to fall out the street? Like yeah, Shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pay you like thirty nine cent to fall out the street. Like I got you, B. That's so crazy. I think those are like the ill, the last. Movies of the past, like maybe decade that I seen, was like wow, this was crazy. It was the yeah. Ongbok Johnson. Have you seen Rise of the Legend? Uh uh-uh. uh Oh, they it's like a Southern Shaolin style kung fu. It's really good. Oh wow, you should watch it. Rise of the Legend. Yep, it's like Hunga. You know Hunga? Hunga? Yes. Yep. Is it on Netflix? It is, and I keep telling Eddie here to watch it so <laughs> many times. He doesn't watch it. Eddie is a photographer. He's sitting right next it. to me. I'll check it out. Yep. All right, I need it. All right, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna watch it later today. Um, thank you so much, man. This has been like yeah. really, really good. Thank you, Mission Chi- Mission Chinese, Thanks, for Mission. allowing us. The food is really good. Chicken's really spicy. Um, Chicken's real tasty. <laughs> and um, yeah, the two bites of it that I had. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, and make sure you check out. How, yes. What are you doing, bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get the <laughs> shout out. <laughs> it's the only reason we even here. Wow. Facts. Facts. <laughs> make sure you check out Lupe Fiasco in Beaten Path. My new TV show uh, is debuting at LupeFiascoBNP.com. So you can go in there and check it out. And check out the video Air China. What date? July 1st. Yeah? Yes. Bonnie, that's why you need a microphone. <laughs> yeah, here, here we go. <laughs> Good, Bonnie. Bonnie. You are supposed to know. <laughs> Come on, Bonnie. <laughs> it's 1st of July. Okay, so 1st of July, uh, Beaten Path, debuting on LupeFiascoBNP.com. Nice. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Well, that's today's episode of Mike Line, and thanks for tuning in. You can listen to more episodes of Mike Line and everything Hypebeast Radio at hypebeast.com slash radio. Subscribe to Mike Line on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at ECM underscore LP and follow Hypebeast Music for more original content. Let us know who you like to have on the show, and thank you for listening to Mike Line. Don't celebrate normality, man. Don't celebrate my normality. No, I You're thought that was cool. Just, I get on train. No, I thought that was cool. Special because I get on train. No, that's special. not. No, that, not at all. Just interacting with a lot of well, artists. I don't interact with them. No, 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 no. I'm just like a lot of artists. I, they I, just like I don't do. It. I'm just like yo. It honestly would be faster if you take it, especially if you're going from midtown to downtown. Um, <laughs> because because of traffic. Yeah, no. Any city where there's a really good train system. So like Tokyo, I take the train. Wait. If you're going to do pictures, I need the, I need the sexy glasses. Wow. Just let me know. All right. All right, all right. I don't think there's many nice. changes. Yeah. Come on. All right. Not, not my, not these. <laughs> Just go ahead. Um, but these are prescription too, so, you know. Nice. So any, any city where there's a really solid train system, I yeah. take. So Tokyo, Shanghai, nice. uh, Paris, uh, New York, Chicago, I can't. 
because it's, it's not as a uh, no, it's, it's a little too crazy. You got you got to do buses in Chicago. Okay. You know, like train to a bus or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't do that. Um, but yeah, New York, I take the I take the train from the airport. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's easier. Nice. Yeah. I don't even do that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you're in the Illuminati. So. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you're a one percenter. Would you fly? Would you fly in um, JFK or LaGuardia? Uh, e- EWR. EWR. Yeah. Nice. That's actually Newark. Yeah. But I, t- I haven't taken the train from Newark. And then sometimes oh, okay. I don't have time. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I don't have time. Oh yeah, no, oh, yeah. no, because you don't. Oh, no, Jeff, no. JFK, I'll have time. Yeah, LaGuardia yeah. doesn't even and have a train. Yeah, so Penn, New York Penn Station. As someone who's born and raised from there, like, you don't need to. You don't need to go down there. It's always Where? something crazy. Where? Newark, Penn Station. Oh, Newark. It's ridiculous down there? Oh, it's crazy. It ain't crazy at 125th Street. Right I'm off the uh, <laughs> What train is that? Is that three train? I don't know what it is. Yeah. But, 125th? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I came, the thing I with came that, out on the stop. I was like, yo, what? <laughs> it's 1985 right here. <laughs> CMB. That's a good point. That's right by Magic Johnson Theater, too. CMB. Which is always cracking. Y'all, we got <laughs> Like, yo, crazy. How long were you in New York for? Uh, like a week. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So running around doing promo for the show. Nice. Came on a good week. Well, I guess if you like hot weather, it's gonna be like it's probably gonna be the hottest week. I know today May is the hottest day of the year right now. It's like 92. Give or take. It's bad. Yeah, it doesn't feel good. I'm, I'm in sweat, so I'm an idiot. Yeah, but I live in L.A., so this means nothing to me. Like, oh, man, but it's then, like 90 right now. Dude. No, but L.A. is different. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no yeah. humidity. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. This is like. And it's disgusting here. So not yeah. only is the heat, <sighs> it cooks trash. the filth. Exactly. It's like right? a then the city starts to, like, bubble. <laughs> it percolates. <laughs> it marinates. You'd be like, all right, yeah. Three showers today. Feces soup is what they call it. <laughs> Uh, soup? I always tell people I dis I dislike New York from two inches down. Mm. <laughs> Everything from two inches down, I hate in New York. Yeah. The sidewalk is the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Trash island. But but up, three inches and up. Love Great. New York. Two inches down. It looks really good. That once you maneuver, you're like, oh man, what is that?